1: Welcome to Silicon Valley Trends, a free podcast series published by Silicon Valley Business School. I'm your host, David Smith. At Silicon Valley Business School, we provide affordable, real-world online business education to everyone, everywhere, and guide entrepreneurs towards success with their startup ventures. If you're an innovator or an entrepreneur, chances are you've filed patents to protect your inventions and unsuspectingly found yourself involved in the patent wars, where patents are weapons of litigation and litigation attorneys are hired guns. In eastern Texas, on the route of several stagecoach lines, a small town called Marshall grew up in the early 1800s. It hasn't grown much since and now has a population of about 23,000. But the Marshall Courthouse became the unlikely ground central for the patent wars. Patent litigation gunslingers from all over the United States headed to Marshall to fight their cases. In 2015, Judge Rodney Gilstrap presided over 17% of all patent cases in the whole United States. That's thousands of cases assigned to a single judge in a sleepy eastern Texas town. At any point in time a few years ago, all the hotels and restaurants were filled with lawyers. That was the boom time for Marshall. Now, things are not quite the same. Let's go back to 1992 to start this story, when Texas Instruments chose to start filing its patent infringement cases in Marshall. As there's no FBI office or U.S. Attorney's office in eastern Texas, The courts are not filled with drug cases, and Texas Instruments figured out that patent cases filed in Marshall and Eastern Texas could get heard more quickly. The Eastern Texas courts adopted rules that allowed cases to flow quickly to trial and through trial. A timetable was set for hearings. Timers were used to limit the time spent by lawyers representing uh, to the jury and the whole process was designed for maximum efficiency and minimum delay. Large corporate infringers hated it. They were not allowed to delay cases with bureaucracy and the juries often sympathized with the inventors rather than the large corporations. Word got out, Eastern Texas and Marshall became known as the Rocket Docket and patent holders decided that Eastern Texas was the best place on the planet to bring patent cases. But that was before the patent system came under attack, and inventor's rights were curtailed by Congress and the courts as a result of intense lobbying by a group of the wealthiest corporations in the world. In 2017, the U.S. Supreme Court decided that patent lawsuits had to be heard in the defendant's home state. A case can only be brought in eastern Texas if the accused infringer is headquartered in Texas or if the infringer has a regular and established business there. Tom Fasoni is an attorney with the Inventors First Law Group. As a patent litigator for more than 20 years, Tom has won a number of high-profile cases in eastern Texas against companies like Apple, Sony, Samsung, Google, Microsoft, AT&T, and Amazon. Hi, Tom. So tell us about Marshall and what's been going on in the courthouse over there.
0: Well, as you know, David, Marshall is one of the cities that reside in the Eastern District of Texas. And uh, a large number of patent uh, lawsuits have been filed in Marshall over the last 17, 18 years, um... But with the changes in the law, venue laws, uh, post the T.C. Heartland case, uh, things are slowing down a bit in Marshall. And so it's had somewhat somewhat of an effect on, on Marshall in terms of the court's dockets and also the economy. Uh, although the judges are trying their best to keep the cases there um, because they are a patent uh, savvy group of judges and have established rules that are driven to um, make patent litigation efficient.
1: So, um, with people moving out since TC Hartland case, then what, 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 what's the situation now? Does a patent holder have to sue an automaker in Detroit and sue? silicon valley tech company in san francisco these days that seems to be the general rule
0: um I, I would assume that's the case there there may be some caveats to that um but you know the tc Heartland ruling required that the plaintiff uh choose venue uh where the defendant has a regular and established place of business And so therefore, your examples of the automaker in Detroit and the Silicon Valley tech company in the Bay Area are are good examples because those are certainly places of incorporation and or substantial operations.
1: So Apple, for example, with its Apple stores in eastern Texas, um, they would qualify as a regular and established business. So Apple can be uh, can be sued in Eastern Texas. Is that correct?
0: My understanding is that, that Apple is concerned with that very thing, and they're looking to shutter those stores. Uh, there aren't that many stores in the Eastern District of Texas, from what I understand, but they're looking to shutter those stores to avoid being hauled into court before the patent-friendly juries of the Eastern District of Texas
1: it's interesting that uh, some of these large corporations make these decisions to set up their operations or or, or move their operations totally based on uh, patent litigation concerns. And uh, I I, I know in in Europe, in in Germany, um, where they started to um, uh, award injunctions in patent cases, uh, many large corporations decided to move their distribution centers from Germany out to other countries like Poland in order to avoid um, uh, being trapped in Germany with with injunctions that would block the shipment of uh, infringing products. So um, patent litigation concerns can drive corporate strategy. It's, it's quite interesting here and looks like that might be happening in eastern Texas with some of these companies like Apple.
0: Yeah, very good point. Uh, analogous situation. You've got uh, cost-benefit analysis being done by these companies, and you know they look at the potential for uh, the damages being sued in courts uh, that are plaintiff-friendly, uh, patent holder-friendly, and you know the decision to move out operations to other parts of the country uh, to avoid. Um, the significant judgments and or awards, uh, that may come out of these, these cases in a patent friendly venue, such as the Eastern district of Texas. Um, and I think that your reference to what's gone on in Europe is, is on par.
1: Right. So, um, in Marshall, then we it was uh, swamped with attorneys um the uh, the the attorneys were attracted by the the speed of the inefficiency, efficiency which we'll talk about later but what does what happens to a town when it's just So gets it's an interesting uh,
0: scenario um in and i guess uh, soci- from a sociologist would probably be really intrigued by what goes on because you have a a middle America town in a rural East Texas on the Louisiana border. It was part of the Confederacy at some point in time. And then you have uh, swarms of big city lawyers from both the East and West coast coming in, you know, and, uh, they have different expectations. And so, um, it's it's truly an interesting uh, uh, uh it's, it's an interesting place to see and I've been out there several times and sort of the northern view uh the west coast view and, and people are expecting to find uh, very convenient things and, and they're having to uh, work in a different sort of uh uh, context and, you know, uh, it's just, it's, it's interesting, it's different. And, and, and it's, it's, it's also what I think, uh, it, it, it can be humbling to those that come from large cities to realize that the rest of the world, the rest of the country is not like New York city and you can't just walk down the street and get a bagel, you know?
1: Oh, it sounds Um, like a, it sounds like a basis for a movie. You know, where's the sushi <laughs> yes. house? What do you mean there's no sushi house?
0: Yeah, there is no sushi. It's all fried fish. Right. So don't expect sushi.
1: Right. <laughs> okay. Um. All right. So one of the reasons for uh, the Texas, East Texas courts attracting these cases was because they sp- uh, managed to speed up the process for these cases to get through to trial. And I know that, um, Defendants often one of their strategies is to delay and stall cases. I, I was talking to the head of litigation for a huge uh, um, electronics company, and they were saying that in Europe, um, when they get cases uh, in Germany again, um, they uh, they will file another case in in Italy and they'll force the German courts to wait for the Italian case to to complete. And so basically it's just a stalling tactic for the the German case. And so um, how did defendants stall cases in the U.S., and and what effect does this have on the outcome and the negotiations?
0: Yeah, so traditionally defendants stalled cases by dragging on the discovery process Um, they would – Uh, maybe not make a complete production of relevant documents. They would, uh, you know, make it difficult to depose key witnesses. They would not cooperate in terms of third-party discovery. Um, They, you know, would move for continuances of trials. And so what happened in, I can speak to the Eastern District, the judges got together and decided that they were going to draft local rules specific to the patent cases. And so there are a whole set of rules, uh, the local patent rules, and they set specific disclosure deadlines. Um, So there's like an automatic requirement that you're going to produce certain types of documents without the defendant, I mean, without the plaintiff serving for example, request for production uh, within a certain time frame. And in order to get those deadlines moved, you'd have to file a motion with the court and have a really good basis to get those deadlines moved. I mean, beyond that, uh, setting strict timetables for hearings, uh, limiting the number of pages in the motion so you didn't get a 50-page motion on a motion uh, for production or motion, for discovery, um, and then even using timers when lawyers are, are making oral arguments in the courtroom. So uh, the judges really went uh, all out in, in getting things in shape and, and working for efficiency and to get cases resolved within a reasonable amount of time.
1: So these judges in Texas, they set up these procedures to improve the efficiency and force things to to come through trial more quickly. Um, and um, it sounds like in Texas, they were or Eastern Texas, they wanted the cases. It, is, it sounds like in some of these other jurisdictions, um, uh, other states like Delaware, where the cases have moved to these days, they don't want the cases. Their dockets are already full. Is, is is that the situation?
0: Yes, David. I think that's an accurate uh, assessment of of the Eastern District of Texas versus other jurisdictions such as Delaware. The judges wanted; they saw uh, the patent litigation as a way to boost the economies of uh, otherwise rural, uh, sort of a Rust Belt type um, economy going on, uh, mostly timber and oil and being, you know, um, away from any major transportation centers, airports, et cetera. And so um, since the inception of of the Eastern District of Texas uh, handling patent litigation back in the early 2000s, the judges have become much more sophisticated and, for example, as, you, as we discussed earlier, came up with rules to help um, foster uh, the cases being brought in their courts and became sophisticated in, in the law. Um, and many of the decisions that come out of the Eastern District of Texas are, are, are key decisions in the area of patent law. So yes, um, I think your, your assessment
1: is spot on. So, so Texas really established it itself as kind of a center of expertise for patent cases. They were specializing in cases, and um, so they were really leading the way in many ways.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And what about the juries? Because the patent litigation cases are federal law. They're decided by juries of normal people. Um, can normal people really? decide patent cases that involve complex technology? I
0: know they can because I've been in several jury trials and it, it, what happens David here is the burden is on the lawyers uh, and the experts to get out of the weeds and to make um, the technology uh, understandable such that the jurors can fully appreciate the case and that they have uh, what they need from a knowledge base to make the right decision, the right verdicts. Um, and so it, it's really, yes, yes, the average person, the juror, um, and jurors often, you know, come from all different backgrounds. And so it is it, the burden is on the lawyers and their experts and the judge to help assist in making sure that, that um, justice is served and that the right verdict is reached.
1: Right. So we have this move away from eastern Texas. Um, I, I saw a figure that the, the cases were down 74% or something in eastern Texas. Um, and uh, how do you think this overall affects uh, patent holders and, and the litigation landscape in general?
0: Well, I think what it's what's happening with patent holders is that uh, patent plaintiffs in particular is that my impression of it is certainly you know they're going to uh, have to fight defendants um, in their own backyards, like the example of you know Apple big in Silicon Valley or an automaker in Detroit. Um, due to the the changes in the laws. And so for the patent holder, for the patent plaintiff, what what it looks like is that you may be required to hire multiple local counsel in different jurisdictions or, you know, hire um, a larger law firm that has offices in multiple jurisdictions to get at the defendants under the new law.
1: So if you have three companies that you think are infringing your, your patents, one of them's in New York state, one's in California and one's in Texas, you're going to have to file cases in three different States and have three different law firms because the lawyers or three different sets of lawyers, because the lawyers are admitted to the bar state by state, right?
0: Yeah, that would be a a logical conclusion based on the current law. Um, You know, we're hopeful that, that that's going to change. And, uh, and it's certainly with respect to, um, my practice at inventors first, you know, we're prepared to litigate anywhere in the country. Um, although, you know, most of my experience and, and has been in the Eastern district of Texas, but also, you know, we are not limiting ourselves as, um, a firm that represents uh, plaintiffs only in the Eastern district of Texas. So just want to make that clear that, you know, we are looking to represent patent holders
1: and inventors anywhere in this country, as well as abroad. All right. So, um, okay. So Western Texas, I hear there's been some activity there and uh, some judges are encouraging cases over there.
0: Yeah. So what, what's going on now in the Western District of Texas, which is a very large district, includes several um, significant population centers such as Austin and San Antonio. And the corridors between those cities are, are large, uh, I guess, mid-sized cities. There's a lot of presence, uh, corporate presence there. And the judges, for example, in the Waco division of the Western District are looking, probably looking at Marshall and the Eastern District of Texas as a template for drawing business to, for example, the city of Waco, which is a college town. But these uh, judges and and these courts seem to be really interested in, in, in the patent cases and learning, and probably setting up specific patent rules, and I even hear that some uh, some law firms are looking to open offices in Waco, which is which is a big change. Uh, Waco is never seen as that type of uh, place of commerce, so uh, it's good news for Texas, and it's good news for Inventors First. Uh, because we're also licensed in the western district of texas and waco's down the street so to speak um and so you know uh i think it's a great thing
1: so there is a future for patent litigation in texas
0: i think so i think texas will always be patent litigation friendly
1: all right well appreciate your time today tom thanks very much
0: Thank you, David, it was great uh, catching up
1: with you. You'll find more information on this topic in our Patents and Intellectual Property course and our patent Strategy course, including dozens of courses, thousands of videos and reading materials on our Silicon Valley Business School website at svbs.co. You're welcome to join me in my Silicon Valley Business School chat room where I can answer questions and help you monetize your patents and navigate your startup towards success. I hope you'll join us for future podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you get new episodes as and when they're released. And please rate us in your podcast player as this will help us get the word out to entrepreneurs and the other people we're trying to help with this podcast series. That's it for today. Hope you tune in to the next Silicon Valley Trends, the podcast for innovators and entrepreneurs.